You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 65. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get this show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. Welcome to another episode. About 20 years ago, I met my today's guest as a newly graduated pharmacist. His knowledge and expertise in the field of herbal industry and advocacy have impressed me a great deal. Today, you're meeting someone who has been serving as an incredible force in this industry, helping to shape its many facets. This introduction is only highlights of his work. My today's guest is Mark Blumenthal. Mark is the founder and executive director of the American Botanical Council. This is an independent nonprofit organization that is dedicated to disseminating accurate, reliable, and responsible information on herbs and medicinal plants. Mark has been serving as the editor-in-chief and publisher of Herbalgram, an international peer-reviewed quarterly journal, and the contents of this journal reflect the educational goals of the organization of the American Botanical Council. He's also the founder and director of the Botanical Adulterant Program created by American Botanical Council, American Herbal Pharmacopoeia, and the University of Mississippi's National Center for Natural Product Research. This is a Food and Drug Administration Center of Excellence in Botanical Laboratory Analysis. Since 1998, Mark served as the senior editor of the English translation of several important German herbal medicine textbooks. And in this role as an educator and a researcher, he has written hundreds of articles, reviews, book chapters, and forewords on herbal subjects. Earlier in his life, Mark was a founding board member of the American Herbal Product Association, and helped to co-found an herbal research foundation. Mark currently serves or has previously served on the educational board of many prestigious publications. In recognition for his research, educational, and advocacy work, Mr. Blumenthal has received two honorary degrees and is also a recipient of numerous awards in the field of medicinal plants, natural foods, and natural health. A popular speaker on herbal issues, Mark has made hundreds of presentations to universities, professional and trade organizations, numerous consumer and industry groups. He has been a sought-after guest on radio and television talk shows. He and the American Botanical Council are also major sources of information for journalists, editors, and freelance writers. Mark is quoted extensively in articles for the trade and popular press. By the end of this episode, you'll get an appreciation for the current state of herbal education, research, and advocacy. As always, you can find links and additional information in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 65. Enjoy. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? I am grateful to be involved with your uh, podcast. Thank you very much. I'm doing quite well. I am so thrilled. Um, we talked a little bit before I pressed the record button, and uh, we were remembering the times when I think we met for the first time. I was just hired as a faculty member at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, and one of my mentors started a Center for Integrative Therapies in Pharmaceutical Care, and you were on the board of advisors. And so it's always such a privilege and such a joy to talk to you, to learn from you, well, thank you very much. You know, there's an old joke in the advisory and consulting business that a why about advice. 
that a wise person doesn't need it and a fool won't heed it. So what's the point? But uh, I am nevertheless grateful to have been on and still am on a number of advisory boards and councils and uh, publications because uh, it's important for people to share perspective, experience, and insights uh, so that uh, people hopefully can gain benefits, uh, especially in this interesting world of medicinal plant and the research and the application of it. Uh, it's such a widespread world of so many thousands of plants, so many hundreds that have been fairly well uh, researched, and uh, so many thousands of years of uh, history of use of, of many of them. The information is virtually endless, and the opportunities are, are so amazingly open that uh, it takes a lot of people, uh, the, the virtual botanical village, so to speak, to uh, get a good perspective on all of this. Absolutely. So true. And I had a conversation a few months back. In previous generations, what we learned today in a year was the amount of information that was typically learned in a lifetime. So it really is so true that we are exposed to so much wisdom and learning how to evaluate it and how to approach it and how to use it is more important today than ever. So um, as we're starting this conversation, I wanted to um, ask you a little bit about how you began. So you have uh, over 40 years of career in herbal medicine. How did it start? Well, this year in 2019 marks my 45th year in being involved uh, in the herbal movement, uh, maybe 50th year, depending on where you want to start. My, my starting point was I became a vegetarian in 1968 when I was graduating from college at the University of Texas in Austin uh, as a political science and philosophy major. And uh, that was when they abolished the graduate school deferment for the Vietnam War draft. And so I was really rethinking my values and what do I really believe in. And long story short, I basically became a vegetarian as a, as a outgrowth of the, war, of the protest against the war in, in relation to just assessing my values and realizing that I didn't want to be killing people for any reason, nor do I want to be killing animals because I might be hungry someday, and I realized that I should be smart enough to learn how to live off of wild, edible plants. And I started going to health food stores to try to learn how to find protein uh, uh, from plant sources and also from dairy, and in the process started being exposed to herbal teas on the walls. Now, back then in 68, Health food stores were really pill shops mm -hmm. with foods for special dietary use, people for uh, uh, foods for, for diabetics, people for low-sodium diets. There were nothing like the major whole food kind of stores that you have today with all the different kinds of uh, you know, uh, myriads of types of natural foods, organic foods, etc. We didn't have that back then, mm -hmm. although there was a, the organic industry was just getting ready to start. Uh, so this was 50 years ago. So I became a vegetarian and started reading books about herbs, and at that time there was very little scientific information on herbs. The research hadn't been done, and any research mainly in Europe hadn't been reported in the United States. We were eventually later leaders and pioneers in bringing some of that European research over here mm -hmm. and summarizing it and exposing it to uh, other researchers over here, uh, health professionals, industry, etc. But in, back in those days, it was mostly folkloric, historical information, ethnobotany, etc., which I found fascinating, and it became a hobby for me. And eventually, my hobby became my business, and I started a small herb wholesaling business in uh, 1974 with a friend selling ginseng wholesale to health food stores and other herbs and spices and teas and that kind of thing, and one thing after another, and it grew into a small herb wholesaling business for 12 years. And during that time, I helped start an herb trade association, which was called the Herb Trade Association, mm -hmm. and I was its third president back in 1979. Uh, it was a forerunner of what is now known as the American Herbal Products Association. Uh, and uh, during that time, I started uh, publishing a little newsletter, which eventually became Herbalgram, and uh, start, we started to be called Herb News. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, I've got, for people who are listening, uh, especially students, this is before the Internet, before email, even before fax machines in most cases. So we basically were having to print information, put it in an envelope, and mail it uh, to people. That's how we disseminated information. It wasn't like we got information and within, you know, within a few uh, seconds or minutes uh, all over the world, people have stuff via Twitter or email or 
Instagram or whatever. That's relatively new. So we started, uh, and, and I was a, one of the pioneers in helping to disseminate information about herbs, whether it was a regulatory news or, uh, or an article from some other publication that we wanted people to know about, uh, which was hard to get a hold of because there was no Internet to access that material, mm-hmm. uh, or some kind of new research. So all of that started, and I started Herbalgram as a newsletter for uh, the then early, in 1983, for the American Herbal Products Association, the major industry trade association representing the herbal industry, of which I was back then a founding board member of what's known as APA, and another organization called the Herb Research Foundation, which was started by Rob McCaleb, the former uh, research director of uh, for Celestial Seasonings Herb Tea Company back in the early 80s, and he and I started the Herb Trade, the, uh, the uh, Herb Research Foundation, and Herbalgram was published for these two organizations, and then as a newsletter, and then from 83 to 88, and in 88, 1988, I started American Botanical Council simply as an organization, as a nonprofit organization, uh, as a funding vehicle to take Herbalgram, the newsletter, into something more like a scientific American type publication for herbs and botanical medicine and related subjects. So that was our, our goal, our mission uh, for ABC, the American Botanical Council, was simply to take Herbalgram, this little newsletter, black and white, and turn it into a four-color peer-reviewed uh, magazine that had journal quality, and it is peer-reviewed. And so that's what we did, and along the way, ABC... Uh, American Botanical Council became an organization that not just uh, published Herbalgram, but then we started uh, publishing herb clips, summaries of clinical trials, and taking pharmacists and physicians down to the Amazon rainforest with the late, great ethnobotanist James A. Duke, so people could see the foods and the medicinal plants uh, of the Amazon and some of the plants that modern drugs are made out of, uh, and get pharmacy continuing education credit while going down to the Amazon and Machu Picchu and all of that, and then Belize, Costa Rica, Africa. We went to many places around the world for credit for pharmacists and physicians. And ABC started dozens of other projects and publications uh, in order to help increase awareness of and access to information on the burgeoning science that was evolving and exploding during this time, the 1980s, 1990s, uh, on herbs and medicinal plants. Because uh, there has been a virtual explosion of information uh, over the last 30 or 40 years in this area. This is really fascinating. And I think what's very interesting to me today, there are over 100 issues, right, of Herbalgram that have been uh, published. We're currently working on issue 121. Wow. I really love the hard copy issues of Herbalgram because they're absolutely so beautiful and so full of amazing information, incredible stories. So there is just so much that is um, in each volume, whether it is research-based ba- uh, descriptions or discussion of specific botanicals or whether it is traditional stories and traditional uses or whether it is experimentation. And I know that every time you are trying to enhance the publication more and more. And so it, it's something that I absolutely love receiving and something that I love sharing. And so it's very interesting for me that the American Botanical Council began as a vehicle to distribute herbal grams. So you mentioned that you were a uh, either a founding member or that you were a collaborator when several different organizations began, these nonprofit advocacy uh, organizations. Why did it eventually become so important to you to really become a part of this movement more than just, you know, sell the, the botanicals or present yourself in a different fashion, I guess? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure anybody's ever asked me that one. So I like, thank you for asking that. I like, as I just said, I'm, I was a political science and philosophy major in the 60s uh, when I was in college. And I've always been invo- interested in politics and the political process and as well as philosophy. And I could just see that there was the need for the creation of infrastructure and communication among people involved with the buying and selling of botanicals, the growing and the procurement of the raw materials. Uh, there needed to be better understanding of their quality and quality control, their safety, their efficacy, uh, the development of industry uh, standards, nomenclatural 
uh, guidelines and all kinds of things that would are needed to develop a, a modern, robust, and responsible industry. And I've always been interested in that, even though uh, one could uh, cogently argue that in the last 30 years that I've been running ABC, which is a, a, a tax-exempt nonprofit research and education organization, uh, that we are not an industry association. We're, no, we're not part of the industry in the sense that we are not involved with advocating for the companies that, that produce herbal products and or we're not, we don't represent them. But many of them support our work financially because what we do is help educate not only industry members but health professionals, researchers, and the general public about from a, what we consider to be responsible medicinal plant use uh, and responsible information. Back in the days when I started Herbalgram, uh, there was a lot of different publications that talked about folklore and ethnobotany and traditional use, which is all fine, but a lot of it was hearsay and a lot of it was very uncritical uh, regurgitation of information from the literature without really checking things out to the second or third or, or fourth level of possibility and documenting sources. And one of the things about Herbalgram, uh, since it's uh, beginning as a magazine in issue number, I believe is one, uh, 19, 120, I mean 19 and 20, excuse me, after it became a newsletter for 17 issues and ceased to be a newsletter and became more of a magazine and or journal, uh, we have been peer-reviewed and we're very scrupulous about that. And some of my writers and uh, editors tell me that we peer-review at a much more extensive rate than many of the pharmacy and medical and nutrition journals that publish articles about herbs and medicinal plant clinical research. Uh, we don't just rely on two uh, supposedly ex- uh, we send out our articles for peer review, sometimes to five, six, or more uh, experts, and then have to triage and, and information. So basically, we really wanted to make sure that we were documenting the literature correctly. We wanted to make sure that what we publish is accurate, responsible, even authoritative. And I believe that many people believe that Herbalgram is an authoritative publication, and I have many, many uh, members and friends and colleagues who are members of ABC who received have received Herbalgram going back all the way to the beginning sometimes, and they tell us that you know with most of the other magazines and journals, they read them and then they recycle them or give them away, but many people tell me that they keep and hold on to all of their back issues of Herbalgram because of the quality of the publication graphically as well as as content wise. We just we we and the reason we do that. Lana, is because we believe that we were on the outside looking in. Uh, we were like the Rodney Dangerfield of medicine. We didn't get any respect. So we had to reach a higher standard in some cases than some of the other publications. Really fascinating, very interesting to hear because, uh, first of all, I'm one of those people that has all the back issues of Herbal Gram, so <laughs> thank you, I, thank I, you. Can, I can completely agree with that. You, I also admire the fact there is so much information that is published in Herbal Gram about quality control of herbal products and ethics and labeling and not just the research and education. So you're covering a lot of different things. Once you started working with American Herbal Product Association and once you uh, started uh, ABC, uh, you have been participating in a variety of different initiatives. I know that in 1990s there was a ginseng evaluation program. I know there are uh, several other ones. There is a adulterant program that is a current project for the American Botanical Council. Can you talk a little bit about some of these projects that you have been participating and where did they come from? How can someone learn more about them? Uh, what do they bring to an average consumer? And what do we need to know about them? Very good question. Uh, to be, let me back up a little bit and put some context on, uh, on what you're asking here so you, everybody can understand a little better. Please. I've always been involved with trying to promote the idea of rational, responsible herbal medicine, uh, medicinal plant products that are properly manufactured from materials that are grown and or harvested appropriately, uh, good quality control and good manufacturing practices, ethically marketed without, uh, without, without substantiated claims or uh, irresponsible claims, claims that can be documented appropriately and rationally, etc. So all of us want that. That's the goal. Uh, my, and at this, as part of that, we've been promoting and been pioneers and leaders in promoting European and other international research 
clinical trials on botanicals showing that different botanicals have shown positive benefits in one or more clinical trials of various sizes, of various designs, and often being documented as safe and, and effective uh, in various systematic reviews and meta-analyses. And the but comes, or the, or the however, or the caution comes from the fact that as the market has grown, uh, unscrupulous people have gotten involved and have uh, been selling materials that have either of lower quality or material that's been substituted A for B, so the label says A, but it really contains B in there, but you don't know it, or it's got A diluted with B, where B is a, is a lower-cost material, and other ways that people adulterate products. And one of the first pub articles we published in the Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program, which we started in 2011, so it's gone now into its ninth, eighth or ninth year, is an article on the history of adulteration of herbs, spices, and botanical drugs going back 2,000 years to Greco-Roman times, because the idea of adulteration, counterfeiting, and or fraud is not something new to and unique to the modern uh, herbal or dietary supplement industry, but it's something that is, is basically part of society going back in our economy, uh, probably to the beginning of recorded history and before that. People have put sand in the cinnamon powder mm -hmm. or whatever, and uh, 2,000 years ago, Dioscorides came up with the ash test, which is still used in pharmacy today, uh, when you burn the material to make sure there's no organic, I mean, inorganic material like rocks or, or stones or sand in it that add more weight, et cetera. Yeah, and you're aware of this. You're a pharmacist. Yes. You understand yes. this is basic pharmacy 101. Yes. Uh, understanding what's in the material. What is the material? The idea of quality control goes gets down to the first question, and that is, what is the identity of the material we're dealing with? How do we authenticate that it is authentic, that it is ginseng, it is garlic, it is ginkgo, it is ginger, whatever, it is milk thistle, if it says so on the label or the certificate of analysis, if it's in, in bulk uh, extract or whatever to be sold to a manufacturer to be processed into capsules or tablets. How do we know the certificate of analysis is accurate? How do you know that the analytical methods were accurate and appropriate for that type of material? Identity is job number one. Purity is job number two. Is it pure? Is it not contaminated? Is it not, doesn't contain an excessive amount of agricultural pesticides or heavy metals or microbial content like E. coli or salmonella or whatever? With our Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program, we are not focusing on contamination. That's an entirely separate and but a very, very important matter. We're focusing on the first question. Is it what it says it is? Mm -hmm. Are people buying what the label claims to have in the product? So we have a site uh, called the Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program on the ABC uh, site. ABC is available at herbalgram.org, herbalgram, our magazine and our website, herbalgram.org. And on herbalgram.org is the Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program, uh, which I'll call BAP as, our, as kind of our uh, acronym. And mm -hmm. everything on the BAP website, everything uh, right now, it's 47. And we're talking January of 2019. Right now, we have 47 or 48 peer-reviewed publications on the BAP website that we've produced that are totally free access to anybody in the world who wants to get them for free. All one has to do is please register so we have your email address. It's all free. And the reason we're doing it for free, whereas other parts of the ABC website is, is are limited to membership at different levels of membership, although about 20% of all of our content is available for free. We, we make about 20 or 25% of our content free to the public, and I wish I could do everything free to the public, but I have all these employees and consultants and contract mm -hmm. editors who like to get to eat mm -hmm. and pay rent and pay mortgages and send their kids to college, so I have to charge a little money for a little things here and there. Uh, so the point is we have to have membership uh, we, we're a membership-based organization, but everything we're publishing through the Botanical Adultons Prevention Program is totally free access because the idea is that with the very welcome and, and gracious financial support from industry members, over 200 companies, laboratories, trade associations, uh, uh, professional societies, 
uh, in the United States and other countries are supporting and or endorsing, financially supporting and endorsing this botanical adult prevention program because it's recognized mm-hmm. that, that adulteration and fraud is the biggest problem in the global botanical marketplace. And it didn't start this last year or this last decade, but like I said earlier, our article on this shows that it's gone on for 2,000 or more years. It's a part of the human condition. It's part of the social uh, system, unfortunately, and economic system. People cheat. What we're trying to do is show people in the industry what herbs that are suspected and or alleged to be adulterated, which ones we have confirmed through peer-reviewed publications called bulletins that we have confirmed are being adulterated, how they're being adulterated, what the economic and the chemical and or other botanical and genetic evidence is that they are adulterated, and then which analytical methods for the laboratory are still robust enough, the new methods or old methods, which methods are fit for purpose and robust enough to detect the type of adulteration going on in the marketplace today, because some of the methods used by some of the labs, some of them may be official in some pharmacopoeias, may have been published 20 or 30 years ago, and at that time in the market, the type of fraud and adulteration that was going on is different than the way it is today, and the older methods may no longer be adequate, may no longer be robust enough, sensitive enough, fit for purpose enough to detect the adulteration. And if a company or a laboratory uh, at a company or a contract laboratory uses the wrong, older, unfit method, they could end up saying, okay, we've got a 1,000 pounds of this, extract and it's fine and make a million pills out of it and then it turns out the stuff is somehow adulterated so people have to keep up with the new methodology and we publish reviews on methods for each herb that we have confirmed are being adulterated uh, mainly for companies uh, regulatory laboratory quality control personnel so they can keep up with the fraudsters because the people who are cheating are smart and they are they try to stay a step ahead of the laboratories if you know what i mean this is the largest international consortium dedicated to helping to reduce and prevent fraud in the herbal marketplace and i'm grateful for all the support that we've been getting from industry from laboratories from research centers uh, from other organizations uh, and scientists who are coming together under the banner of the Botanical Adultance Prevention Program uh, to basically clarify what would otherwise be bad news. And frankly, Lana, some of the people in the industry would prefer I don't publish these papers because they think it generates negative publicity. And people don't like negative publicity, but the fact of the matter is, our thinking is more transparency is good, And the more transparent we are and the more that we know about what's going on, the better we can help companies protect themselves against from being uh, victimized by the sellers of fraudulent material. Because if you don't know it's fraudulent and you don't have the analytical methods for it, you may end up with all the best of intentions uh, using outmoded quality control uh, measures and end up buying bad stuff. This is such an important program and such an important mission, and I want to thank you, and I want to, uh, to thank you for making it freely available to the public. But I also want to ask you a little bit to talk about the next step or the latest step that you're taking, not just looking and concentrating on botanical adulterants, but also starting to look at the sustainability of yeah. herbals. Let me please just make one more comment before sure. we get away from the adulteration issue. Because it is a negative thing to talk about. I, and I, I want to say this a couple things, please. First of all, I'd rather not talk about this. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm trying to hide anything. It's because I'd rather be talking about all the good news that's coming out about herbs in clinical trials that are being published in journals around the world, in systematic reviews of the clinical trials or meta-analyses, the statistical pooling of the evidence from multiple clinical trials and more and more of these systematic reviews and meta-analyses are showing positive benefits in one clinical endpoint or another. So there's lots of good news that we could be and should be talking about. I just want to make mm-hmm. that clear. I also want to make an adulterants program, and that is this. There are many, many high-quality suppliers of herbal raw materials and extracts and essential oils, and many, many companies that are high-quality, responsible, ethical, 
manufacturers and marketers of finished products for consumers made from herbal uh, raw materials, extracts, and essential oils. There are many high-quality dietary supplements, teas, cosmetic, and other uh, body care items that are high, of the highest quality available. The problem is sometimes it's difficult to know what's what, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, problem, it's hard to know from a consumer's perspective or a health professional's perspective which, which companies to support or which companies to buy from, unfortunately. And yet, unfortunately, there's, there's, cause there's some bad apples that are in the barrel, and the problem is there's more than one barrel. Right. So it's, it's difficult, but that's what our botanical adultsman's program is designed to do. And the good news is there's many companies that are ethical and responsible that are supporting this process and making it very transparent for the benefit of the entire herbal community that includes industry, health professionals, researchers, and consumers. And so I just want to make that point. Thank you. And But I also want to uh, mention that the fact that you and the organization in general believe that transparency is one of the most important value that you carry, and the fact that anytime when there is any news that comes out related to uh, herbs and botanicals in general, um, especially if there is negative press, I always go to American Botanical uh, Council, either your website or your newsletter, because I know that this is something that is so important to you that you want to speak with your uh, membership in a very honest and a very truthful way. And so I, I truly appreciate it because I think if we are just only looking at positives and always uh, omitting the negatives, that doesn't make it for a very balanced and very truthful conversation. So thank that's, you again. That, that's true. And let me just say also that we are very fortunate because there are many, many good quality products in the marketplace. There's a lot of good people out there doing a lot of good work. And, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of good news. I just can't, I can't say that of enough. The, the problem is that we don't want to shy away from what needs to be done. And, um, the problem is, you know, trying to make deals in the back room, uh, and try to come up with, 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 with uh, remedies for some of these kind of things it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. And the problem is a lot of the fraudsters, the people selling fraudulent material, aren't even in the room. Mm-hmm. They're, not at the, they're not at the table. They're not even in the room. They don't even know there's a table in the room, and they don't care. Right. They're just out there to make a quick buck, and they're not necess- or, uh, sustained a dollar, and they're not really out there for the best uh, health benefits of the people uh, along the value chain as well as the people that are the end consumers, which is what these products are all about. They're intended to enhance the health of the users, whether they put them in their mouth or on their skin. Mm-hmm. And our, our commitment as an organization is to help ensure that, that consumers get high quality, properly manufactured, uh, properly labeled and reasonably labeled uh, herbal products. And let me just put a shout out to my two partners, organizations, the American uh, Herbal Pharmacopeia, my good friend and colleague, Roy Upton, mm-hmm. who's an herbalist, he's done a fantastic job. He'd be a good person to have on your blog, by the way. Mm-hmm. Talk to him because he's an amazing person. Roy has done an incredible work with almost 40 incredibly peer-reviewed uh, monographs to his credit, uh, you know, the, the best monograph in the world mm-hmm. on both quality control and the therapeutics, including traditional historical therapeutics, which are important. And I also want to thank my friend Dr. Iklas Khan at the University of Mississippi's National Center for Natural Products Research in Oxford, Mississippi, which is an FDA-funded center of excellence right. for analytical methodology on botanical dietary supplements. So we have partners in this deal, uh, three nonprofit organizations, one at the University of Mississippi, that are all committed to increasing uh, the quality of herbal materials, uh, raw materials going into herbal products. And uh, I can't say enough about the good people that I'm working with. I'm very grateful for that. Absolutely. And so can you talk a little bit about the next step, the Sustainability Herbs Project? Yes, you hear a lot about sustainability these days. Uh, Major companies are marketing, uh, putting out advertisements about sustainable production or sustainable products. That's all well and good, and hopefully it's true. Uh, we have teamed up with an incredible woman who I understand you have also have. Uh, uh, interviewed, uh, Dr. Ann Armbrecht. She has a Ph.D. from Harvard in anthropology. She and her husband, Terry, are filmmakers. They did a wonderful film called Newman, N-U-M-E-N, which I re- uh, rec- recommend people check out. Uh, it's about uh, sustainability and the herbal movement in North America. 
uh, and elsewhere. But she started a website in 2017 called the Sustainable Herbs Project. It's now renamed Sustainable Herbs Program. But if you Google Sustainable Herbs Project or Program, either one, it will pop up for you. And she came to us last year in 2018 to see if we would partner with her. And so we are now partners on developing content. And ABC is responsible for the, the IT work and the, the fundraising for the site and a lot of the development and marketing. And Anne's also involved with uh, uh, developing strategic alliances. This is the first website ever dedicated to herbal medicine sustainability and medicinal plant sustainability and regeneration, regenerative techniques for farming, uh, sustainable methods of harvesting in the wild. And for us here at the American Botanical Council, this is not a new uh, position for us. This is not a new venture for us, even though it's a, it's a new partnership. Mm-hmm. ABC, since the very first issues of Herbalgram, Alana, uh, we published articles on conservation. I've been doing that for 35 years when I started Herbalgram back in 1983. So we've been, I've been publishing on, and through Herbalgram for 35 years. And every, every, almost every issue, there's always something about some kind of conservation-related issue. So ABC, in its DNA as a nonprofit research and education organization, has always been committed to the idea of sustainable conservation and, and climate change-related uh, education. So we've had a number of, herb, of cover stories on, in Herbal Graham about conservation of specific medicinal plants. We published in 2009 the very first uh, major article on the effects of global warming and climate change on medicinal and aromatic plants, and how that, you know, what's that going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years. And we're working on a, a, a revision of that article or a, an update of that article now that it's uh, uh, 10 years later. Uh, back in uh, 1997, we did a cover story on uh, the potential endangerment or vulnerability of golden seal, a Native American medicinal plant from eastern United States and Canada, because even back then there was concern about its vulnerability. And in Herbalgram 119, just a few months ago, we published another cover story, this time uh, like a 12,000-word article with some like 91 references, uh, multiply peer-reviewed on all of the conservation biology data that's been gleaned in the last 20 years or 21 years since we published that first article on golden seal and what the status of golden seal conservation is and and or golden seal's vulnerability is today compared to 21 years ago. So we have a very, very strong um, commitment to the idea that consumers, health professionals, researchers, industry people, anybody interested in medicinal plants uh, should be concerned about and aware of conservation and sustainability-related issues because we can't keep taking these plants for granted, uh, both the ones that are still being harvested from the wild and those that are being cultivated commercially uh, for our medicinal benefit. So the Sustainable Herbs Program is now a, a, a sign of ABC doubling or tripling down, if you will, on our long-term sustainability and conservation commitment through this website with Dr. Ann Armbrecht uh, so that we can help increase awareness of and educational information for uh, health professionals, consumers, and industry, but also act as an inspirational center, an inspirational force to get people to act uh, more sustainably in their own homes, in their own factories or offices, in whatever else they are be, they be doing, whether they're in the herb industry or not. That is absolutely wonderful to hear. And I know that you mentioned that this has uh, been something that is uh, so deeply in uh, the DNA of your organization. And I know, uh, based on what I remember, you had a program, a service that was called Adopt an Herb that was also clearly an effort to increase the sustainability of herbs. So I'm absolutely grateful for uh, all the work that you're doing. You have mentioned earlier during our conversation the inspiration that came from uh, European Union. And I know that you have published several different books um, that were inspired by German scientists. Could you please talk a little bit about that? Uh, happy to do that. Uh, it's very clear, and anybody who knows much about herbal research knows that the Europeans, particularly the Germans uh, and others in, in Western Europe particularly, were our leaders in the uh, medicinal research on the medicinal value of herbs, particularly clinical trials, as well as uh, chemical uh, in vitro and animal studies, but clinical trials particularly, because that's what we like to focus on. 
uh, how does it work in humans? And um, back in 1993, when a lot of the conversation in the United States was heating up about how to regulate herbs appropriately, uh, are they going to be food? Should they be a separate uh, a separate category of a new kind of drugs like traditional medicine, like they had in France? What's the proper regulatory role or uh, category for herbs? And eventually, which which led to the passage of the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1990, or Duchesne, where herbs became subsumed with vitamins and minerals under this new category of food called dietary supplements. During that time, there was a lot of confusion about, well, are these things safe? Are they effective? There was a lot of questions about congressional people. Uh, a lot of their legislative aides were very uh, ignorant and unaware about what's going on with herbs. What's going on here? Can we trust these things, etc.? So rather than reinvent the wheel, we looked to Germany, where their government, uh, FD, their equivalent of their FDA, had set up a series of expert panels for different types of, of drugs, and the herbal drugs, the herbs that were sold in pharmacies as medicines, were evaluated for their safety and efficacy by the special expert panel of physicians, pharmacists, pharmacologists, pharmacognosists, people knowledgeable about the clinical and other scientific literature on botanicals and, and phytomedicines. And basically, they, uh, they basically were looking at these uh, products to make sure that they, or these herbs, to make sure that they were safe and effective to be sold in, as medicines, as non-prescription medicines over-the-counter, but not necessarily over-the-counter because over-the-counter and non-prescription in Germany are a little bit different. So basically what happened was the German government, the, the FDA counterpart, commissioned this special expert panel of all these experts to evaluate about 385 different herbs and herb combinations sold as non-prescription drugs in German pharmacies to determine if they were safe and effective for their uh, claimed use. They looked at all the available information, the information being uh, historical information, chemical information, uh, pharmacological studies and toxicological studies, clinical trials, uh, published and unpublished, as well as any information from the companies marketing these, these herbs, uh, both published and unpublished data from the companies themselves. The German Commission E evaluated these herbs for safety first and then efficacy and basically published monographs uh, over a period of time from 1980s to about uh, 1995. And in doing so, these monographs were published in the German Federal Register, uh, and nobody had taken these monographs and basically sewn them all together. The monographs were basically designed to be used as packaging inserts to guide physicians, pharmacists, and consumers with respect to the proper uses of the herbs that were approved. Many of the herbs were not approved as drugs because there either was not enough information to determine their safety or their efficacy, or they were deemed to be uh, unsafe for whatever reason. So the ones that were approved were had these monographs, and the monographs showed what the definition of the herb is or the, or the herbal drug, what the proper dosage is, what the potential side effects were, what the contraindications or drug interactions, if they were known, were pregnancy and lactation warnings and other information. In other words, therapeutic guidelines for the proper, responsible, and safe use of those herbal uh, medications that were approved by the German government, basically. This was the, the most important information available from any government in the world on the safety and efficacy of many herbal medicines. Nobody had ever done this before. So what we did at the American Botanical Council from 1993 to 1998 is we had we translated all these German government monographs, then coordinated them and basically databased them into a 700-page book, and now it's a, that book is available as a, uh, a searchable database on the ABC website available to all ABC members, and we published in 1998, now 21 years ago, the complete German commissioning monographs, which was, was given the award of the second best medical book of 1998, which really surprised all of us. So that was pretty, pretty amazing. That's yeah. wonderful. Thank yeah. you. You said that the information today is available as a database, but there are a few other databases that uh, your members can uh, access yeah. through your website. Could you please talk about them? 
Yeah, we have about I think now up to I think eight or nine databases. I mean, I know it sounds confusing to some people. We have all of the Herbalgram articles going back. I think the issue number twenty or twenty-one available in our database, and then all of the Herbalgram articles are available in PDF all the way back to the first. Uh, we have Herbalgram, we have Herbal Egram, which is our monthly e-newsletter. We have Herb Clips, which is around 7,500 summaries of clinical trials and other herb-based uh, publications. Uh, we published uh, 15 of those Herb Clips, they're two or three page summaries. They're much more extensive than an abstract, much more informational, and they include definitions of the herbal material used, the brand name, what company uh, produced the material, etc. So you can really connect uh, the literature and the research to the actual brand and through these herb clips. Uh, so those are three databases. We also have Herb Med Pro, which is 266 herbs that have been actually all of the PubMed abstracts on those herbs have been organized into a very rational organization in a very time-saving way. And each one of these thousands and tens of thousands of these abstracts have been boiled down to one-sentence summaries where nobody else has done this. It's a very unique database, HerbMed Pro, available to our professional members and up. And then we have uh, another one of our books uh, called the Expanded Commissioning Monographs, uh, which expands on some of the German commissioning monographs. We have a book called the ABC Clinical Guide to Herbs, which takes 30 of the top-selling herbs in, uh, in 2003 and showing all the clinical trials and which products, which brands were used in the clinical trials. Uh, another book called uh, Identification of Medicinal Plants, which is uh, basically something we did with the Missouri Botanical Garden that shows really excellent line drawings of medicinal plants uh, for people who are foragers or collectors or people in the herb industry to identify whole plant material uh, correctly uh, as, a as a visual aid in identification uh, process and quality control. We have a database called Healthy Ingredients, which has 110 herbs and foods with very easy-to-understand entry-level uh, text that uh, explains what these different foods and herbs do in cosmetics as well as in foods and in botanical medicines. By the way, most of our, our material, as you well know, is geared toward professionals. It's geared toward people who are in the industry, who are health professionals, who are researchers. It's not geared to the average consumer. The exception, of course, is the uh, Healthy Ingredients Database, which is very easy to understand even at the consumer level. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm realizing how many amazing projects and endeavors you personally and the American Botanical Council have been part of. But what I want to ask you at this point is if someone who is listening to us, if they want A, to learn more, or B, learn how to advocate better, what would some of your suggestions be? Well, well, thank you for that question. Uh, first of all, to learn more, you can go to herbalgram.org at our website, and there's a ton of information that people can learn there. There's a, there's a, there's a video on how to navigate our site, although that is going to be changed because by May we hope to have a new site that's totally responsive, May of 2019, to mobile devices, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so but there's tons of information. A lot of it, like I said before, uh, about 20% of our content, and we have thousands of pages of content about 20% of which is freely access to anyone, plus all of the content that's available is free uh, from the adulterants program. Um, act, learning how to advocate is, is challenging. It depends on how you want to advocate and to whom you want to advocate. But learning about herbal medicine uh, is, is exciting, it's inspiring, and it's challenging because there are so many different plants, and there are so many different plant and plant parts and, pl and preparations made from them that it can be sometimes for some people somewhat daunting. Mm -hmm. So my general rec uh, recommendation, and this is true, uh, many of my herbalist friends feel the same way, just learn five herbs. Mm -hmm. Try to figure out, keep it simple, learn five different herbs that you might be interested in either because of their presumed or documented uh, benefits uh, or other reasons that you might have a certain affinity for certain herbs and learn as much as you can about them. And then if you're really interested in learning more about more herbs, add another three or five and work from there. But just don't try to go tackle it all at one time. It's, uh, it, you, you can get it over your head very quickly. At the same time, that's exciting for some of us who are as passionate 
about and involved with this world of herbs because, A, the plants are amazing. Uh, what they can do is amazing, especially when people learn how to use them appropriately. And the people who are advocating for and, and, and producing herbal medicines, particularly herbalists and people who have been studying medicinal plant research, etc., and the physicians and pharmacists and naturopaths and herbalists and other health professionals, acupuncturists and dietitians, uh, all, the, all the health professionals who have learned to use herbs and natural products, uh, these are often uh, very interesting people. And if you look at the whole gamut, the community or the, the, the universe or the multiverse, I might say, of herbal medicine, one of the things that keeps me excited and keeps me still uh, energized and passionate, Alana, is the people like yourself and others whom we know mm-hmm. who, have, who have carved out a niche in this field, whatever that niche might be, because of our collective and individual passions about learning about plants and the plant-people interaction, which is where the magic is. Absolutely. And the, and the healing. Absolutely love it and absolutely true. I actually want to ask you to share with our audience a story before we begin recording. You told me a little bit about a company, one specific company that sells product, different types of teas. Um, would you be willing to, to talk about this story a little bit more? You were talking about communities and this is why this came back to my mind that how amazing herbal community is. And so whether you are someone who is part of the movement, part of the legal, uh, aspect of the herbal pharmacy or whether you're someone who is a, um, you know, a, a medicine maker or you're someone who is a clinician, I think that it's so incredibly impressive how vibrant this community is and how much good people do. So if you w- would be willing to share the story, that would be great. Oh, well, thank you for that. You know, there's, there's dozens and dozens and hundreds of stories that one could tell if one had time and the energy. Uh, you know, I could talk a story about a major herb company today that started out in the late 1960 when one man uh, created uh, uh, some, uh, took chaparral from the desert around his home in northern Arizona and made it into tablets to give it to his wife because she had uh, a goiter or throat cancer and it helped cure her uh, because it was the folk, he was just aware of the folk medicine uh, benefit of chaparral. And from that, he started selling it to family and friends making it available and started a major company and is one of the biggest herb companies today. And it started from that one small working in the kitchen for a man trying to find some kind of way to help his wife with a, with a very serious uh, illness. Uh, the one you and I were talking about, you said you were drinking some Tulsi, rose Tulsi mm-hmm. tea that you were drinking. And, I, and I'm not here to promote a particular company. Uh, this company I'm going to mention is a member of the American Botanical Council. They are a, a very valued sponsor member, so I will just say that uh, just to you know, make sure there's no um, conflict of interest here. But I, I guess that you were probably drinking organic India tea because mm-hmm. they're the ones who make a rose-flavored Tulsi tea, and Tulsi is, uh, is holy basil, Okimum sanctum. Uh, which is a highly revered herb in India, and there's different varieties of it or different chemotypes. Um, and I told you the story of the woman who started this company. Uh, she came from a fairly wealthy family, and she was living in India, uh, originally, I guess, on a spiritual quest, like many people do who go there from the West, and was concerned about the, as I know, as I've heard the story, talking to her and other people, I think I'm fairly accurate about this story, but you know, she wanted to help people because there's so much poverty over in India and realized over time that she just couldn't keep giving her money away, that she needed to teach people how to fish, so to speak, instead of giving them the fish, to use that metaphor. And in her case, she started getting women to grow Ayurvedic herbs, some of which were maybe vulnerable from uh, in wild harvest situations, and let them grow some herbs organically, either on their rooftop gardens or their backyard gardens, and then she promised and guaranteed them a certain market price, a fair market price for that herb, so they'd have a place, a way to generate a small amount of income for their family. And this thing grew and grew, and this woman ended up with a lot of material, that organically grown material that she had to deal with, and that was the foundation of a company called Organic India, which makes teas and also for a while was selling bulk organic or uh medicinal plants from India to other, to other manufacturers. And that's a, that's a story about compassion. It's a story about 
somebody who understands uh, the role that, that herbs can play not only in people's lives for their health benefits, but in this particular case, empowering women with economic power and then maybe social power as they developed economic power because they were able to make a, a modicum of income that they didn't have before in a situation where it made a difference in their family and in their, in their village or their, their, their community. I think that's a beautiful story uh, about the origin of an herb company, and there's other, other stories like that that are, that are similar or, and, and, and different that still are inspiring because many of the herb companies are uh, started by individuals with a vision and a sense of compassion and a sense of passion about healing and about plants, and we could go on and on with that, and that would be a, probably the... Uh, the subject of another conversation. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for the story. So as we are going to finish our conversation, I want to ask you two more things. So um, okay. one is tell us again how people can find you, whether it is on the website or whether through social media. And the second one is, do you have any parting thoughts, any pearls of wisdom for our audience? Sure. Thank you. People can find more information about the American Botanical Council and our nonprofit research and educational work at herbalgram.org. That's H-E-R-B-A-L, herbalgram, G-R-A-M, herbalgram.org. Uh, we have uh, we're, we have a Facebook page. We, we put tweets out. Uh, uh, I'm not sure whatever, whether the staff is doing all kinds of social media information almost on a daily basis. We, we, we push out a lot of information. A lot of our information is free. You can just go to the site at herbalgram.org and just sign up and register without having to become a member, which starts at $50. Uh, you can just become a registered user and just get all kinds of free information from us on a weekly basis. We have a weekly free herbal news and events newsletter that just tells about conferences that are coming out and webinars and some of the latest media coverage on herbs. And that's a free e e weekly newsletter that you might want to get for free for just by signing up at herbalgram.org. Um, and what was, the, what was the second question? I'm sorry. The parting thoughts. A, a parting thought. Um, I believe that it's important. Many people use herbs, of course, for self-medication, whether they're actually trying to treat an upset stomach or a cold or a flu or you know, menstrual cramps or you name it, all kinds of different uh, minor illnesses that herbs are very useful for as home remedies. And uh, people use them often sometimes under the advice of a physician or a pharmacist or a a naturopath or an herbalist or a, an acupuncturist uh, uh, for a variety of other conditions or diseases, some of which are potentially serious as adjunct, as adjunct uh, remedies. The important thing that I think people should remember is that self-medication requires self-education. Mm -hmm. If you're going to self-medicate with botanicals, whether it's, it's a small item or a, a big issue, uh, you should try to learn as much as you can from reputable, reliable sources so that you can become not an expert necessarily, but at least have a, a modicum of, of reasonable information so that you know what you're doing. Um, herbs are uh, not magic. They are basically uh, parts of plants and, and or fungi uh, that contain various types of chemical compounds, most of which are safe because the herbs that we use today have been given down to us from our grandmothers and great-grandmothers and others through, through recorded and even before or in oral history. And sometimes uh, some plants that people can say are not always safe, but most of the herbal products in the marketplace are very, very safe and they have a very good record of safety. At the same time, it's important to know what you're doing and how to use plants and herbal preparations responsibly. And also be careful when you go on the Internet because a lot of times uh, sites that, that try to appear to look like they are independent or nonprofit or educational are really fronts for various commercial interests and they're not very transparent about it. Uh, you can still get good information. I'm not saying they're not, they're not, they're not uh, reliable, but, you, but sometimes some of these places that are providing information are really, at the end of the day, trying to sell you a product. Uh, so I just want to warn people about that. But the bottom line is, uh, if you want to self-medicate, you need to self-educate. I love this message. Mark, thank you so very much. As always, it was fascinating and absolutely delightful. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Really appreciate it, Lana. And thank you for moving forward and upward for so many years since I first met you when you first came to the Mass College of Pharmacy. <laughs> 
and following your bliss and following your passion and turning so many people on and bringing them with you along your path. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Mark Blumenthal. For additional information and links mentioned in today's episode, please head over to wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 65. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded on your device. When you have a moment, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could share some love by leaving a rating or review about the show wherever you download your podcast. This is the best way to help others learn about the Wellness Insider Network, and it also helps to bring wonderful guests to join us here. This episode is proudly brought to you by the American Herbalist Guild. I've been a member of this organization for many years. Every fall, I attend HG Symposium, a great gathering of like-minded herbalists, where I always learn something new and exciting and network with others. Through this podcast, you've met many of the practicing members of the American Herbalist Guild. Professional members of this organization are recognized practitioners who have demonstrated to their peers their knowledge and expertise in the field of herbal medicine. General members continue to enhance their education by reading the Journal of American Herbalist Guild, their monthly member newsletters, having free access to webinar archives, an amazing archive of symposium lecture recordings, and so much more. Additionally, each member gets discount and offers on products, services, and tickets from some of the best herbal suppliers, schools, and companies. Check out the show notes or wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash HG and learn more about this great organization. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you.